Hello, community. I thought in honor of spring training and the promise of a new baseball season and, uh, come on, White Sox, even Cubs, we got to do better this year. Um, I want to start with a baseball story. All right. If you were lucky enough to work in the front office of a major league baseball team in the summer of 2002, there's a good chance you'd be shaking your head in disbelief about what was going on. Why? Because during the summer of 2002, one team appeared to be having a really, really bad draft. And the team I'm talking about was the Oakland A's. The A's seemed to be picking people and players that nobody else wanted. Now, many of you are probably familiar with the movie or the book, Moneyball. And Moneyball tells this story. It's a great story, and the movie is definitely worth watching. But here's the key thing I want you to take away is this. For decades and decades and decades, the conventional wisdom in baseball had led teams to identify certain characteristics in a baseball player as predictive for success. But then in 2002, the Oakland A's looked at players from a totally different perspective. They valued a completely different set of stats. They saw potential that all the other teams missed, and the result has dramatically changed baseball forever. I'll tell you what, hold on to that for a few reasons. First, because I have more to say about this story, and I'll come back to it at the end. But second, I think you'll understand that it relates to what God sees in you and what God sees in me. And then lastly, I think it's a good introduction to our new series, and I've asked our lead pastor apprentice, Ted, to tell you about this brand new series. Thanks, Dave. Yes, today we're starting a brand new series that I'm really excited about, and we're calling the series Encounter. It's a series about people who encountered Jesus. And isn't there a part of you that just wishes you could have a face-to-face, nose-to-nose, eyeball-to-eyeball personal encounter with Jesus? I mean, I know I do. And so all throughout this series, we're going to be looking at real-life encounters that people had with Jesus as described in the book of Mark. And so you can get the very most out of this series and our teaching We're actually going to be reading through the Gospel of Mark together over the next five weeks in our community daily. If you're not yet signed up to be a part of our Monday through Friday devotional that goes along with our weekly teaching, make sure you'd subscribe today. Just use the QR code or go to communitychristian.info to sign up, and you'll receive it in your inbox every single morning. I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity to join us. So let me tell you a little bit about the book of Mark. First, it's one of the four Gospels or biographies about Jesus in the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Mark is thought to be the first of the four Gospels to be written. And in the very first verse of Mark, it actually tells us his sort of big idea for the entire book. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The entire book is meant to be a beginning or an introduction to Jesus. If you were wanting to take a college course on the life of Jesus, Mark would be like 
the Life of Jesus 101. And I think any follower of Jesus reading and knowing Mark should be a mandatory class. But Mark is not just an introduction to something that happened in history. It's an introduction to an ongoing story that we are actually a part of. And as we read the Gospel of Mark, we'll discover that the good news of Jesus not only happened, but it's happening. The story isn't over, and we are in a continuing story of good news. The Gospel of Mark just tells the beginning. We are to find ourselves in the story and to carry it forward. Isn't that just amazing? So, as we dig into these scriptures, I want you to imagine that you're in the shoes of the people who encountered Jesus, the disciples, the demon-possessed man, the, the woman who anointed Jesus, and more. And with each encounter, I want to challenge you to step back in time and discover what that face-to-face, nose-to-nose, eyeball-to-eyeball, personal encounter with Jesus must have been like. And because the story of the good news is not something that just happened, but is happening, my prayer, my prayer is that you will have your own encounter with Jesus. So let's go back to Dave as we dive into this first encounter. I told you about the Oakland A's and their unlikely way of drafting players. Well, let me tell you another story about drafting some unlikely players. The book of Mark opens with the crowd coming from all over Judea. They made a journey out to the wilderness to see John the Baptist, to hear him teach, to confess their sins, to be baptized in the Jordan River. Now, all the signs were suggesting that John was a very, very important and significant person. But John, John the Baptist quickly redirects their attention. He says, no, 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 no. There's someone else coming, way more significant than me. And that's when Jesus shows up, right there at the Jordan River. Jesus has John baptize him. And this begins his three-year earthly ministry. Now, it's only a few verses later that Jesus has one of those face-to-face, nose-to-nose, eyeball-to-eyeball personal encounters. And this time, it's with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And this is where the draft begins. Mark describes it this way in his gospel. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. There are a few very interesting things going on here. First of all, is this bold kind of invitation by Jesus. I mean, just think, if I came up to you and said, hey, come follow me, come follow me, I bet you'd have questions, right? And your willingness to follow me would have everything to do with how compelling is Dave's plan. You'd want to know, like, where are we going? Uh, How long are we going to be gone? Will there be snacks? (laughs) Those kind of questions. But something different is happening. These men are not joining Jesus' plan as much as they're joining him. This is a unique request, and Jesus has this unique kind of authority. It's clear that Jesus is no ordinary rabbi, especially because rabbis in Jesus' day never called people to follow them, instead only to learn the Torah from them. 
And Jesus is not inviting them to his message. He's not inviting them to come to some workshop to learn. He's actually invited them to himself, into his circle, into his life. But that's not all that's unique about this selection. While this rabbi, Jesus, was extraordinary, his new followers hmm, were not. Now, sometimes we refer to the disciples as ordinary, uneducated men, and it's true. There's also a part that's quite, well, it's not entirely true. Let's just say that. In that time period, nearly all Jewish children would have a basic education that they would get from the synagogue. From the ages of 6 to 10, they memorized the Torah, and they learned that in the synagogue. Then from ages 10 to 14 in the synagogue, they move on to learn about the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. And that's when education stopped, except for the absolute best and brightest. Only a select few would proceed on to what was called the Bet Midrash. It was then that they would ask a rabbi if they could become a disciple or apprentice of that rabbi. If they didn't make the cut, if the rabbi said no, it was at that point that their education ended. And you went on and you learned to trade. Okay. So what are the occupations of these four new disciples of Jesus? You know? They were fishermen. It's a trade. Which means at some point it was determined they weren't the best and the brightest. At some point they were disqualified. They didn't make the cut. They didn't get picked. Let me ask you. Do you know what it's like to not make the cut? To be disqualified? To be told you aren't good enough or aren't smart enough or aren't spiritual enough? Well, these guys knew exactly what it was like. And then along comes this rabbi, Jesus, and they have this encounter, and he says, follow me. Follow me. Now, I really want you to get this. Friends, the same Jesus who told these men they were no longer disqualified and then drafted them for his team, he has the same message for you. And you know what? The same message for me. So let me ask you, what is it that makes you feel disqualified, like you don't make the cut? Be honest. I mean, is, is it a past you're going that you can't erase? Is it an insecurity you feel that you can't overcome? Is it doubts that you wrestle with that you can't conquer? Or maybe it's some kind of combination of those where at some point you just decided, I'm not good enough. Hear me on this, okay? Jesus sees you, and he's saying to you today, you're exactly what I've been looking for. And you might even push back and go like, oh, what about my doubts? And I'm telling you, Jesus will say, it's fine, I can handle your doubts. And you might say, well, what about my insecurity? And Jesus says, don't worry, I'm bigger than your shortcomings. You might even push back and say, well, what about my past? And Jesus says, don't worry, I've got forgiveness for your past. So what Mark does is Mark tells us this story about ordinary people finding themselves drafted by an extraordinary God. And here's what I want you to get. Just like we heard before, this isn't just something that happened, it's happening and continues to happen. 
Jesus still drafts unlikely people into his mission to help other people find their way back to God. He still drafts people like me and people like you. Okay. Now, that's not to say that there aren't certain qualities, unique qualities that Jesus is looking for in the people he drafts. And they're different, different qualities than what the rest of the world is looking for. Back to the Oakland A's story. There were specific stats and qualities that most teams were overlooking, but the Oakland A's discovered had huge value. And the same thing is true with Jesus. For one, let's start with this. Jesus values obedience. Obedience. Jesus' invitation to follow didn't require them to know everything about him or about the mission. In this initial moment, it was a simple request from Jesus that said, hey, come, follow me. And then each disciple had to decide whether they would obey that request. They had to decide if they would put one foot in front of the other and start walking and following Jesus. And the same thing is true for us. Let me speak to those of you who are new to faith, or if you're just spiritually curious. I want you to know, we are are so glad, so delighted you're here. And we're going to go out of our way here at Community to create safe spaces so you can process all your questions and all your doubts. And our hope is that this will be a place that you can find your way back to God. But I also want to shoot straight with you. That journey of finding your way back to God, it is an active process not a passive one. I mean, taking the first step might be, you know, sticking around afterwards, asking some questions. Taking the next step might be asking someone for prayer. For some of you, taking a bold step might be something like deciding to follow Jesus' example and being baptized. Here's what I want you to get. See, Jesus values obedience. And that means we have to actively respond to this invitation because he's saying, come follow me. Now, for those of you who already are followers of Jesus, I think the best explanation of spiritual maturity I've ever heard is maybe this, that spiritual maturity, okay, or the spiritually mature take the least amount of time from when you hear from God to when you obey God. You get that? The spiritually mature take the least amount of time from when you hear from God to the time when you obey God. I love that. For, for those who call yourselves followers of Jesus, ask yourself, am I quick to obey what Jesus says? Am I quick to obey? Or do I kind of sit back, think about it, as if I'm a spectator in the stands, munching on popcorn? The spiritually mature are quick to obey. Understand this, Jesus values obedience. Another quality that Jesus values in the people he drafts, it's unique, and it's sacrifice. Sacrifice. The instant obedience of these fishermen and their willingness to sacrifice reveals something very important about being a disciple of Jesus. And I believe it kind of shatters our comfortable world of kind of middle-class religion. Disciples are not those who simply fill a chair in an auditorium and then attend occasional Bible study, maybe offer to help in the work of the church now and then. Uh-uh. Disciples are not merely eavesdroppers or onlookers. Discipleship in Mark's gospel is not part-time work at our convenience. In fact, he makes it very clear, we must be prepared to leave everything to follow him, and it requires sacrifice. Go back to our story. 
Simon and Andrew turn from their nets. James and John turn from their father and their boat. They had to sacrifice the securities, even their livelihoods, for something that was brand new and unpredictable. The call to discipleship comes as an unreasonable, scandalous demand oftentimes. And sometimes it feels too risky and too reckless. But I'll tell you what, for those of us who've made the choice and have experienced the freedom and and the purpose and the hope that's found in following Jesus, I'm telling you, talk to somebody. It's a choice they'd make again and again and again, and we will again. The Apostle Paul sacrificed just about everything in his life to follow Jesus. And Paul was kind of reflecting on what he gave up when he said this. He said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I can, I can tell you personally, I've been following Jesus for a long time now. And, and, and some would say, I've had to make sacrifices. And here's what's weird. What's weird is I struggle to even, sometimes even think of them as sacrifices now, or even remember what those things were. And I'm sure I've had to sacrifice like doing things my way, but my way has a history of not always going very well. So it doesn't even feel like a sacrifice. And I've had to sacrifice, yeah, time and resources, I guess you could say over the years. But see, I think I've come to learn that's exactly what it means to follow Jesus, and he turns it into such meaning and purpose. Following Jesus requires serious availability of all that you got. And there's a decent chance the thing that Jesus wants most, like today, is not currently on your calendar or in your budget. It happens that way a lot. But then again, what you're going to discover is some of the most meaningful experiences in life begin as unexpected interruptions that we sometimes call sacrifices at the request of Jesus. So I don't want to kid you. Make no mistake. When Jesus drafts you, it's going to cost you. He's looking for sacrifice. It costs those first disciples a great deal, more than they could have known when they set down their nets and took those first steps. But hear me on this. Their, their legacy of that obedience and sacrifice continues to change the world even today. I want, I want to go back to my baseball story, okay? In 2002, after drafting players nobody else wanted, <laughs> the Oakland A's went on to achieve great success that season. At one point, they won 20 consecutive games in a row, the longest winning streak ever in American League history. Now, the A's didn't win the World Series that year. Ah, I wish they would have. It would have made a much better story. But did you know this? Some of the same people who led the A's that year later went to Boston and helped the Red Sox win their first World Series in 2004, their first in 84 years. And some of those same people then came to Chicago and helped the Cubs win the World Series in 2016, their first in more than 100 years. And it was this underlying philosophy, whether it was in Oakland or Boston or Chicago, of how they valued players and who they drafted that changed baseball forever. Let's go back to Mark. What happened to those fishermen who accept the invitation to follow Jesus? What happened to those ordinary men who nobody picked? 
because of their obedience and sacrifice. Take, for example, Simon Peter, effectively led the early church and was the first to break down walls to allow non-Jewish people, like many of us, to find their way back to God. Andrew, he traveled north, bringing the good news of Jesus into what is now Russia, and then moved on to modern-day Turkey and Greece, establishing churches there. And then there was John, the son of Zebedee. He also ended up in Turkey. And while he was on that journey, he wrote five books that we have in the Bible in the New Testament. Together, they started a movement of Jesus followers that for 2,000 years has continued to make a difference in their communities, in their workplaces, their school, and everywhere they go. And from that handful who first chose to obey and sacrifice when Jesus said, come follow me, came a movement of Jesus followers that is now in the billions and billions. So please understand this. The stories we read about in Mark's gospel not only happen, but are happening. Today, ordinary people like you and like me continue to be drafted on Jesus' teams. And it starts with a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And those stories are playing out across all of our community expressions and locations. I'm gonna hand it off to your local teaching pastor because I want your teaching pastor to share one of those stories with you. Like I shared uh, before we got started this morning, we're excited to take a moment to really invite you uh, to consider where you are in your story. And so we're gonna have just some gentle music playing and we're gonna spend just probably a couple of minutes here in prayer. So I wanna encourage you uh, to just get comfortable in your seat. If you're not super familiar with prayer, if this feels uncomfortable, just, just relax. Uh, you can keep your eyes open, you know, look around the room. That's totally fine. But if you're comfortable, I just want to encourage you to sit forward. You can put your feet on the ground. That tends to help me sort of focus. Uh, sometimes I always find myself noticing my hands in these moments. You can gently rest your hands on your knees. And all we want to do is go back to this scripture passage in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus calls these first followers and we want to invite you in prayer, using your imagination, to sort of picture yourself there, standing by the lake in the middle of whatever your current occupation is. So I, my hope for you is to allow this to become as specific and as real as your actual life and story. The job you are currently working right now in the city, uh, whatever place you found yourself in the city, maybe this is your apartment, this is an office building, this is sitting in front of your computer on Zoom. Uh, so as we take just a moment here, go ahead and get comfortable. And I wanna encourage you, uh, if you feel comfortable, to just close your eyes. As we return to this scripture passage, this is from Mark 1, 16 to 20. Jesus is there walking beside the Sea of Galilee when he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. you pause for this moment just to listen to what God might be saying or whispering to you? Where do you picture yourself in your life, in the midst of your job, in the busy flow 
of your weekly schedule. For me, I'm often working from home in front of a computer. For you, you might have an office. You might be on site. As you are there, in the midst of your work, Jesus says these three simple words to you as he walks up. Come, follow me. If you can, just picture Jesus there. Picture him next to you, sitting in front of a computer. Picture him walking into your office building, into your apartment. As you listen for just a moment, what does it mean for Jesus to say to you, come follow stop there. As he looks at Simon and Andrew, he says, I will send you out. I have a purpose for you. What you are doing now matters to me, and I want to use you exactly where you are to extend my heart for others, extend my heart for this world. I will send you out to fish for people. In this moment of encounter, what is it that Jesus wants to do with your life right now? Truly, if you were to follow Jesus, where would Jesus send you? Why are you precisely where Jesus has you right now? For this season in the city, for this job that you have found yourself in, for these roommates, for this spouse, for this family. When Jesus says, I will send you out to fish for people, can you hear the inkling of what Jesus might say to you if you were to ask him, Lord, why am I here? filling your hands 
as Jesus walks up and says, come follow me, you know. In order to do so, you're gonna have to release. As we close this time in prayer, is there any last words Jesus has to say to you? Maybe if you're ready, it's the smile as Jesus looks at you, as you drop those nets to the side. Maybe if this morning you find your hands still a little bit clenched, maybe it's the gentleness of Jesus looking at you and understanding why this will require obedience. This will require sacrifice. I can't help but think in this scene that there would have just been joy across Jesus' face, looking at Simon, looking at Andrew. Jesus knew all the challenges ahead. He knew the heartaches and the betrayals, the struggles, and yet still with joy, Jesus also sees all the hope, the love, the community, the purpose that Simon and Andrew are going to be filled with. So he slowly nods his head and says, come follow me. Jesus, as we close this time of prayer, I pray that this week in this series would just be the beginning, slowing down enough to listen to your voice. And I pray that this week, Lord, you'd keep speaking. You'd especially keep speaking in our workplaces, those places that often we feel sometimes most distracted and furthest from you. Lord, if nothing else, we this week begin to imagine what it is like for you to go with us into our places of occupation and with gentleness with love but also with a clear purpose you could just say these words over and over again to us come follow me pray all this in Jesus name amen